We're continuing our series, Nehemiah, Rebuilding the Wall. If you have the sermon notes from the bulletin, pull those out and help us stay together. As you're finding Nehemiah chapter 2, let me ask you a, a question, maybe a personal question. Do any of you do your very best work at night? Do we have any night owls here at Younger's Creek Baptist Church? You know, we think about early birds and we think about night owls. There are some who are at their most optimal performance, at their most peak professionally and production-wise. It's not first thing when they wake up, but it's somewhere as the sun has gone down. They find another gear. They find another uh, a layer of energy, and they're able just to kick into something as the night wanes on. You know, our students had, had the lock-in at them this weekend. Uh, I wonder if any of our students found their next gear, their optimal performance at about 3 a.m., did any of them find that 3 a.m. gear? Oh, we, he's testifying. He's saying, I did. Adam, were you okay at 3 a.m.? Yeah. You know, sometimes there are those who just love getting things done at night. I have a, a, an occasional wake-up-in-the-middle-of-the-night kind of thing that happens to me. I'll have a lot on my to-do list, a lot that I didn't get done that day, or a lot that's coming up that week. And usually around 2.30 or 3 in the morning, my mind wakes me up and I'm just filled with things to do. Now, I'm stubborn, so I think, oh, I can go back to sleep, I can go back to sleep, I can go back to sleep. But if I give myself just a hint of room to start thinking about those things, it's over with. I might as well go ahead and get up, do a couple hours of work, get out my laptop, get out the things I need to do, particularly for work, maybe grade a test or grade some assignments, uh, maybe do some things. I've even prepared sermons in the middle of the night. And go ahead and get that out of my, my mind so that I can try to go back to sleep. But the thing I don't do in the middle of the night and I'm sure that those of you who are night owls, something that you don't do in the middle of the night, you don't go outside and walk around your house and look for cracks in your foundation. You, you don't walk up and down the streets of your neighborhood and identify places in the road that need some construction work in the middle of the night. Uh, you don't cruise around your city cruise around your neighborhood and think about all the projects that you would like to recommend to be worked on. You don't do survey work in the middle of the night. But we find in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah conducting a night inspection. Under the cover of darkness without the help of street lamps or lots of city light, in the middle of Jerusalem, while everyone was asleep, while everyone was in their beds, Nehemiah is out cruising the city, conducting a night inspection. And the big question is why? Why at night? 
He has been there for a few days. He could have done this in any of the waking hours. He's, he's got a reason. He's got a purpose. He has something in his mind that is leading him to conduct this inspection at night. And I think it makes for an interesting question to answer. In just a moment, we're going to read verse 11 through 20, but let me bring everyone on the same page in case you're just coming in to this Nehemiah series. You remember the last two weeks, Nehemiah has been in Susa. That's the capital city of Persia. He's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, which simply means he offers the king his drink of wine, but he tastes it before it actually is given to the king. It's a job. It's a It's a serving job. But the Lord placed something on his heart through the report that he heard. And after months of prayer, months of living in that bad report, he comes to the conclusion that God is leading him to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls, to put the city back together. And we read last week where he goes to the king and he asks for permission to do this. He asks for letters so that he could travel safely. And he asks for letters to have building supplies, materials for the project. And so in verse 11, the scripture says he left and he went to Jerusalem. But what we're going to see is that he doesn't start announcing his plans right upon arrival. He keeps things to his chest. He takes some time to see the lay of the land, to look at the city. He needs some time to collect his thoughts, to get a better understanding of what the project will actually require. He has to survey the damage. And oddly enough, he surveys the damage at night. Let's look at this, verse 11 through 20 in Nehemiah chapter 2. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate, and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley, and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so I returned." And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Most likely the next day. Then I said to them, when they all wake up, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, Let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. But when Sambalot, 
the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 20. Let me share just a few life and leadership lessons from Nehemiah's night inspection. Just a few lessons, and they're here in your sermon notes. Lesson number one, and this is a life lesson, not so much a leadership lesson, but it can be applied to those in leadership. Life lesson number one, God often speaks the clearest in the night. If you've ever had an occasion in your life where God's Spirit was working with you and it seemed to be working with you more in the middle of the night than in the day, would you just say amen? There's a testimony that you just heard that God often speaks the clearest in the night. You can see from the passage, verse 12, then he arose by night. Nehemiah's reporting how he functions in this inspection. It's a night inspection. Verse 13, he goes out by night. He gets up at night, he goes out by night, and then verse 15, he's inspecting the wall all at night. Now, if you can let your imagination run with you a bit, you can probably see Nehemiah having told the few men who were with him, Tonight's the night. We're going to take a look at things this evening. Maybe he went to bed a little earlier that evening. Maybe at an appointed time. I'm not sure exactly how that works because they don't have watches yet (laughs) or alarm clocks or cell phones. But in an appointed time in the middle of the night, he and his fellow companions gather together. My mind thinks they're dressed in dark. I don't know why. But most of the time when you're getting into things in the middle of the night, you wear dark clothing. Maybe they all meet up and they're quietly getting their horses ready. They're maybe holding a little torch, maybe just a little light to see by, and then they begin walking the city. The Scripture actually tells us the path they take, and without getting into all the geography or all the notations of where those gates are and where that location is, they're just doing survey work. They're not walking the perimeter perfectly. They're kind of just weaving in and out, looking at this, looking at that. One location was such destroyed that even the horse couldn't get through the gate. That simply means what was once a gate for travel is now just laying there in rubble. And they're just walking around, riding around. Now why the night? Why in the darkness of light, night? Now, verse 12 tells us the real reason. And I'm going to ask you just to put a pin there because I'm going to come to that next. Verse 12 is the reason. I had told no one, Nehemiah states, of the plans my God had put in my heart. But let me give you just a little secondary reason, and this is probably more for me than from Nehemiah. 
I would offer you that there are times in your life when you need to step away from all the noise. There are times in your life you need to step away from all the volume, all the chaos, all the hustle and the bustle. There are times in your life when you need to be quiet. You need to be still. There are times in your life when the incoming text messages and the incoming noises and the needs of this kid and the needs of that friend and the the needs of this job and the the needs of this, this person are just wailing at you, wailing at you nonstop, every hour, every minute, and you need some quiet. And it's not just quiet for your own serenity. It's quiet to hear the voice of God to hear the Spirit of God. God often speaks the clearest in the middle of the night, in my opinion, because that's when He can get our attention the most. During the day, our attention is chasing everything. But in the middle of the night, whether in a dream, or that little space between being asleep and being awake, or in a quiet house, when it's just you, God's Spirit, and His Word, God can speak. If you've had that experience in your life, would you say amen? You know, we teach young believers to have a quiet time. I find it quite humorous that a quiet time today includes earbuds in your ears and music playing in your ears, and often kids around you. Let me tell you, as a parent, there is no quiet time if kids are involved. There's there's times when just even a minute or two of being quiet before the Lord, it's hard to find. But the Scripture teaches something so very clear. Psalm 37, 7, one of my favorite verses one that I need on a regular basis. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. An Old Testament passage that's actually one of my favorites comes in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3 is the account of little boy Samuel in the house of prophet Eli. You might remember, little boy Samuel is the son of Hannah, and Hannah prayed unto the Lord to have this baby, even though she was barren, and the Lord gave her a son, Samuel, and she dedicates him to the house of the Lord to be a prophet from a very early age. Jennifer loves this passage because Hannah makes him little coats each year for his birthday. As a mama of boys, she weeps over that passage, taking him his little coat. Every year as it gets a little bigger, make him a little coat. But there's a story of Samuel hearing the voice of the Lord in the middle of the night. Samuel chapter 3. And the little boy Samuel, we don't know his exact age, but he hears the voice of the Lord, Samuel, Samuel, and he thinks it's the prophet Eli calling him. And so he goes out of his bed and he walks over to the prophet's bed and he says, yes, sir, what do you need? What do you need? And the prophet says, Samuel, I did not call you. Go and lay back down. What I would say to my kids, get back in bed. Get back to bed. So little Samuel goes back to bed. 
He lays down, he falls back asleep. A little while longer, he hears the voice of the Lord. Samuel, Samuel, gets out of bed, goes to the prophet Eli and says, Eli, what do you need? And Eli says, I didn't call you Samuel. But the Bible says in verse 8, then Eli recognized who was calling the boy. Look at verse 8. It's on the screen here. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 8. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. What an instruction by Eli. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Middle of the night. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came, not just his voice, but his presence, and stood and called as in other times, Samuel, Samuel, and this little boy said, Speak, for your servant hears. Friends, every one of us need to be Samuel unto the Lord. And at times we just need to say to God, speak, I am listening. And it might be in the middle of the night when you need to say, speak, Lord, I am listening. Because God often speaks the clearest in the middle of the night when all the noise is aside, when all the distractions are aside, and you are willing to receive a a word from Him. Speak, Lord, your servant Hears. How many of you tonight, how many of you this week will say when the Lord wakes you in the middle of the light, not, oh, I got to get back to sleep, or oh, I got to wake up early for work, or oh, I'm so tired, but maybe, just maybe, you'll say, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. You might have the Spirit of God pressing in on you something that He has been needing to say for years. And you're finally open to hear it. Well, speak. God often speaks the clearest in the middle of the night. A second lesson, and this is truly both a life lesson and a leadership lesson. There are things that we need to keep quiet until the right time. There are things that we need to keep quiet until the right time. If you've ever messed up on this, can I hear you say amen? You've said some things you ought not at a time, you ought not in a sequence that was out of order. This is the story of my life. Keeping things quiet until the right time. Verse 12, this is really the reason he went in the middle of the night. It's the reason that the Scripture teaches. It's the reason that Nehemiah gives. He says, I rose in the night with just a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Verse 16 tells us that they didn't know where he had gone. They didn't know what he was doing. He had not told the Jews, that's the whole group. He had not told the priests, that's the leaders. He had not told the nobles, that's the people in charge. He hasn't told the officials, that's the government. He hadn't told any of the workers what they are about to do. There are things in our lives that we need to keep quiet until the right time. The problem is, most of us don't do that well. We politic, we gather support, we blab this and blab that, and 
say this and say that, we rarely put a filter on this thing called our mouths. Can I hear an amen? A few years ago, our little boys were shopping, yard selling with their mama. I don't know about E-Town, but in Campbellsville, yard sales are everywhere, every weekend. It's just kind of a cultural thing in Taylor County that you can almost find a five or six yard sales every Saturday of every weekend. Well, Ethan, then our younger boy, was about four or five, and he was looking through some of the things that had been placed out on this little yard sale. And he looks over to his mama, and he goes, Mama, this stuff is junk. And he didn't say it quietly, and he didn't say it subtly. And of course, Jennifer's trying to control him down a little bit and trying to explain to him, you know. It would be the equivalent of if he was in a beauty salon and someone had just got their hair done, and he would say, lady, your hair's a wreck. Or in a restaurant, the waiter comes out, this food stinks. I mean, he just has a little problem putting a filter over his mouth. Anybody else got that problem? All right, testimony time. But you know, there are some things that we need to keep quiet until the right time. Here's, let me, let me say a word of this. We all know that we need to teach children not to yell out, this is junk, or your hair's a mess, or this food is terrible, or my parents beat me. <laughs> you know? We don't want to say that out loud. but I think about things here in the house of the Lord. I think about things at my job. I think about both as an employer and also as an employee. I think about as a parent. I think about the relationships I have. There are things that we need to keep quiet until the right time. Nehemiah knew that by going into the town and blabbing all of his plans, blabbing all of his ideas, would get the wrong people involved at the wrong time. And so he kept things to himself. He didn't tell anybody. He didn't let anyone know. So After he does the survey work, after he does the evaluation, it's then that he actually begins to share things. You see, there's wisdom in keeping things quiet until the right time. But once you do announce those, once you do share those, you can guarantee good plans will attract naysayers. Good plans will attract naysayers. This is a leadership lesson. Verse 17, Nehemiah says, Look at all the trouble we're in. Look at the city of Jerusalem. It's laying here. It's burned. Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. He, he encourages them. And at verse 18, they, they come back in a united voice saying, let's do it. Let's build this thing. Let's go this way. They felt strengthened, the Bible says. But verse 19, key verse, and I want you to notice two names. These two names are going to show up throughout the whole book. Verse 19, but when Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard the plan. They jeered at us. This, the ESV translation doesn't really do this justice. It sounds like they're just booing at him or 
kind of nipping at them. The stronger language is that they were making fun of them, insulting them, criticizing them publicly. They were working against them. The the despised word there in the English really means that they were like an obstacle that was working behind the scenes to, to tear them down, to destroy the plan that Nehemiah had. And this is what I've learned, friends, particularly in ministry. A good plan will attract naysayers from the very moment it's announced. A good plan will have people making fun of you, criticizing you, working behind the scenes to destroy you before you even put something on paper before anybody. But I found it also in the work world. I have found it in families. A good plan that's announced to a family will have naysayers, backbiters, before it's even really unveiled. Here's what I would say to you. If you are in leadership of any type, you better expect the naysayers. If you are in leadership of any type, you cannot and you will not and you forever have no ability to impress everyone. You will have naysayers who at one point you thought were your best friend turn their back on you in a drop of a dime. Because leadership, true leadership, creates conflict. You ask anybody, any group, any, any organization to go a little bit forward, to go a little out of their comfort zone, do a little something they've never done before, and the people who were with you one day will destroy you the next. So if you're going to go into leadership of any sort, you better expect it and look for it. Because it's coming. But if you have heard the voice of God, and you have seen Him lay something on your heart over and over and over, don't you be afraid of the naysayers. You be more afraid of the God who has called you out. Because if you listen to the naysayers close enough, you'll never ever do anything for the glory of God. You listen to Him. You obey Him. I think Sambalad and Tobiah... They remind me of the two Muppets in the top of the balcony in the Muppet Show. Y'all know these guys? Statler and Waldorf are their official names. I just always called them the old guys in the Muppet Show. And they're up in that balcony, right? And Kermit's down there trying to get the show together, and Fozzie the Bear's trying to tell his jokes, and Miss Piggy is the drama queen, you know, and Gonzo's always doing weird stuff, and... Scooter is the production manager. He's got the earphones on. Did any of you watch the Muppets? I mean, this is maybe I'm the only one, but but you got these two hecklers in the balcony, throwing down insults, always throwing down put downs. They're never going to get it right. Always making the the claim that it's just a bunch of uh, hooligans trying to put on a show. And I'm not saying a thing about age. I'm not saying a thing that it's more for men than women. I'm not even saying it's anything about two guys just yelling insults. But if you're in leadership and you don't have some naysayers, your vision is too small. If you're in leadership and you don't have some old hecklers in the balcony, 
you're not doing enough to walk out in faith to the God who calls us to lead. Let me just say a word personally to myself. This is preaching out and back to me. If I'm going to lead any ministry, a church, I also have to love the old hecklers as much as those that are my supporters. But I need to expect them, and I need to point them to the God who gave the vision. Because while we should expect naysayers, lesson four, last lesson, God is bigger than any naysayer. Amen? Amen. God is bigger than any naysayer. And if we really recognize, that's what Nehemiah points them to, verse 20, then the heckling comes and the naysaying comes and the critique comes and the insults come. And Nehemiah, bold in the Lord, looks right at Sambalot, looks right at Tobiah, looks right at Geshem, and they're going to cause him problems for years. He looks right at him in that moment, in that day, and he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And he even goes a little further. He doesn't just stand on the truth of who God is. He says, we're going to rise up and we're going to build. And then I'm going to say to you, Tobiah, I'm going to say to you, Geshem, I'm going to say to you, Sambalot, you don't have a right, you don't have a portion, you have no say, your time is over. That's bold. I've never said that to a deacon. I've never had true, true conflict with leadership in that regard. I've never said that to the president of Campbellsville University. Dr. Kuhn, you've ever said that? (laughs) It's bold. But he's just recognizing God is bigger. He's just recognizing God is bigger. And when we really sense that God has laid something on our hearts, we have to be willing to obey no matter the naysayers. Maybe today in this message you've recognized that You're lacking a little quiet moment before the Lord. And you just want to say like the little boy Samuel, speak God, your servant hears. Maybe you have found yourself inadvertently being swayed by naysayers more than obedience to the one true God. Maybe today you just say, Lord, give me the boldness of Nehemiah. And maybe, just maybe, you inadvertently have been a naysayer and didn't even know it. Would you be willing to even to say to the Lord, change my heart so that I can see vision and see a plan and be an encourager more than a naysayer? Let me ask you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, I thank you for these teachings out of Nehemiah and what they mean to us. Or wherever we are today, could it be a situation where we're battling naysayers? I pray that we would take on boldness. Whether we inadvertently have become a naysayer and didn't even know it, that you would convict our hearts and allow us to be an encourager more so than a critiquer. Maybe, Lord, there are some that haven't had a quiet moment with you in a long time. Maybe even this evening, you're going to wake them up in the middle of the night and they're just going to be open to going to your word, to enjoying the stillness, and allow the communion to come. Lord, whatever lesson maybe is here today for us, 
I pray we would receive it. And if there be any in this room that have not trusted Jesus Christ, the one we received the communion from today, I pray that they would make a decision to make Him Lord of their life. I pray that you would help us now in this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen.